Wow, these lights are really bright. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, my gosh. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was not expecting that enthusiastic reply. Um, you, you guys are way too awake for <laughs> daylight savings. Um, yeah, I'm April Lynn Cowett, if you don't know me, and it's an honor and a privilege to be up here today. Um, I've been a part of Liminal Church now since January of 2020, which, let me tell you, was a really awkward time to be joining a new church. Uh, but I managed to stay connected to the community through the thanks of the magic of the internet. And now I guess I still like you all because here I am standing in front of you with a microphone giving the message. Uh, if you haven't been here before, our services are not led by one single pastor, but we have a team of teachers. So I'm not the usual speaker. If you don't like what I have to say or my style, you can just wait until next week. It'll be someone else. Um, I think it's supposed to be Brian White, who is funnier than I am and also more comfortable on stage. Um, but I figure that if I can get through this with zero heresy and at least making one person laugh, which has already happened, so uh, I'm doing good. <laughs> um, okay, so... To, hmm? <laughs> Okay, well, don't clap yet. Uh, let me get through this first. <sighs> so today's the third Sunday of Lent, and it's the second week that we're taking a break from our study of Mark and going through a mini-series called What the Cross Means to Me. Um, last week, Catherine started off the series with, um, was very brave in stepping out of her comfort zone of history and facts and art and into some more vulnerable storytelling and sharing of feelings. And I am happy to tell you that as an Enneagram 4, um, sharing feelings is not something I have any problem with. Uh, in fact, it's one of my favorite things to do, so much that uh, I'm also often asking other people probing questions about their feelings and usually make the people around me really uncomfortable. So, talking about feelings is square within my most comfortable comfort zone. Um, but as I've said, what I'm not comfortable with is talking in front of a room of people with a microphone strapped to me on a stage. Um, so I'm gonna start with a prayer and then we will get going. Father God, thank you for giving me this amazing privilege to speak about you, to speak your word in front of these amazing people. Um, and I just pray that you would give me the right words to speak, that you would give my friends here ears to hear and to, yeah, just listen to you more than me. We love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when Wayne, I believe it was, told me the title for the series at first, I was really hoping that there was more to the prompt than what the cross means to me, because if I'm being honest, I wasn't really sure I had a good answer to that question. I am way more comfortable thinking about the living earthly Jesus, the man who walked around teaching and preaching and praying. But talking about what it means to me that Jesus died a gruesome death and then came back to life and that that somehow healed our messy relationship with God forever 
Well, honestly, I tend to avoid thinking about that. It's something that I can't easily wrap my mind around. And if there's one thing I hate almost as much as speaking in front of a group, it's not understanding what's going on. But the thing is, Jesus' death and resurrection is kind of a big deal for those of us who follow him. You know, in just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Easter, the most important holiday on the Christian calendar. So in the spirit of Lent, I decided it was time that I actually dug deep um, to come up with an answer to the question, what does the cross mean to me, more than just, I don't know. So in some ways, the message of Christianity is surprisingly simple. When one of Jesus' opponents asked him what the greatest commandment in the law was, he told them that it was to love God and love your neighbor. Easy. So I tend to focus on that part of my faith because it's way easier to explain and it doesn't require a lot of mental gymnastics for me to understand. But the cross changes everything. The cross is a complication to an otherwise tidy little philosophy. Now we're not just following the teachings of a man who wandered around the ancient Near East with a ragtag group of followers. The cross happens and this man isn't just a teacher anymore. He's not just some guy performing miracles. You know, I can even accept the miracles without too much trouble because I've experienced some things in my life that I can't fully explain. So, okay, maybe miracles happen. But then we get to the cross and it means that man, Jesus is a man who willingly walks into a city where he knows he's going to die and then after being dead for three days, he's suddenly alive again. So it's at parts of the story like this where I feel two parts of myself at war with each other. The one part wants everything to be explainable and understandable and logical. That part of me can't make heads or tails of how to believe in a God who is also a human and who lived and then died and then lived again and then was mystically transported to heaven in a way that, by the way, isn't really explained in any sort of satisfactory detail. Um, you know, that part of me wants to know, was he standing on a little cloud, like, in, like Dragon Ball style? <laughs> did he actually go up into the sky, or did he just kind of fade from sight? I think maybe having those details would help me out. Probably not, but maybe. But then the other part of me remains that first part of me, that I've already accepted, that I believe in an invisible God, who somehow listens when I pray to him, communicates to me in reliably profound ways and is somehow behind every little bit of creation that we know about as well as all the parts we don't know about. And I've already accepted that there's no possible way that I can understand or even know about everything that there is in reality. So why is it any crazier to believe that a man died and then rose from the dead? or that somehow by doing so, he made a way for us to have a direct and lasting relationship with our creator. So this is the part of me that helps the first part of me lean back into the mystery again. Now, when we talk about mystery in a Christian sense, we aren't talking about a Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie type of mystery, something that we can get to the bottom of through careful investigation. This kind of mystery also doesn't refer to the other common way we use the word, to describe something that's completely and forever unknowable. Rather, the word mystery in the sense, which is mysterion, uh, is a secret to be revealed only to those who are initiated, 
or a secret writer doctrine. So in that case, or in our case, that means that these are things we only get to know as God reveals them to us. So the mystery of Jesus' work on the cross is something that I can hope to one day understand when I'm face-to-face with God, not constrained by my finite human brain and finite human senses. Now, how, that, how all that will work, the whole afterlife thing, that's another mystery, and uh, I try not to think about that one too much because it will drive me crazy. But accepting that the cross is a mystery doesn't mean that I can't derive any meaning from it at all in the here and now. We may only have metaphorical language to explain how the work of the cross accomplishes salvation, whatever that means. And then even our understanding of what the word salvation means is messy and complicated. But we also have Jesus' own words about what the cross means that he shared with his disciples. Um, So I want to look at some of those. And there it is. Cool. It's like magic. Um, So for this scripture, um, I dug up a commentary on the book of Luke by James Edwards, who is the same commentator that we're using for our study of the book of Mark. And I really like how he titles this section, uh, starting with verse 18. He calls it, Peter declares who Jesus is. Jesus declares what disciples must become. Um, At this time, Jesus had just asked his disciples who the crowd said that he was, because there were lots of rumors going around. And then he asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers that Jesus is the Messiah. So then Jesus starts to explain what that means, that he's going to suffer and be killed and rise again, which is definitely not what anyone was thinking about when they thought of the word Messiah or Savior. Then, to make matters worse, Jesus follows up with this explanation of what it means to be his follower. Um, so, reading Luke 9, 23 through 25. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So I almost used Mark's version of this passage um, since we're studying Mark, but I like this version better because, as Edwards points out, Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers who includes the word daily in any version of this passage. And I think that that word is really helpful in understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Um, So there are a few different things I want to look at here. First of all, the words that I made blue for emphasis... um, take up his cross daily, and you can't really tell that it's blue, but that's okay. Um, Jesus had just finished telling his disciples about his own death. Um, You know, in those verses, he doesn't specify, oh, by the way, they're going to hang me on a cross. He just says he's going to be killed. But then he very clearly follows it up by saying that his followers will need to deny themselves and carry their crosses. So he's linking those two and implying that there's a cross involved. Um, Now, when we hear the word cross, usually the first thing we think of is our Christian symbol of the cross. But for Jesus' listeners, the word would have immediately called to mind instruments of capital punishment, brutal capital punishment. The Greek word for cross is um, stavros, which we translate cross in English, but um, in the Greek, it originally referred to any upright stake 
or pole that was used for public ex execution. So, um, you know, even going back to like the fifth century before the Romans started crucifying people. But in the time that Jesus was alive, it definitely referred to the Roman method of executing criminals by hanging them on a cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like to think about brutal torture and excruciating suffering, um, especially when I think about my faith. I prefer to think about more joyful topics like peace, hope, love, grace, forgiveness. But I think that in order to really understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to remember just what have come to mind for the disciples when he told them to take up your cross. In their time, the Romans used crucifixion extensively as a way of keeping the peace and dealing with potential insurrections. Crucifixion happened publicly outside of city walls so that anybody passing in or out of the city could see it. Um, and by that way, the Romans would both be able to punish offenders and intimidate anybody who saw it. Um, and next slide is there, cool. Um, so what James Edwards had to say about this was, modern culture is exposed to the symbol of the cross primarily in jewelry or figures of speech like bearing one's cross. But in the first century, the cross was not a mere symbol or figure of speech, but a repugnant instrument of cruelty, pain, dehumanization, and shame. Uh, next slide. There we go. Uh, this is, sorry for the image quality, but I had to just take a picture from a big book and it didn't work great. So uh, this is an artist's rendering of what a few different styles of crucifixes would have looked like at the time. Uh, one of the commentators said that crucifixion was a punishment in which the caprice, the unpredictability and sadism of the executioners was given full reign. Um, before they got to this point, the offender would have already been beaten to the point where their flesh was shredded maybe even to the point of exposing bone or internal organs. This is really dark, guys, sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I think it is important. Um, so if that didn't kill them, the condemned person was then forced to carry the horizontal beam of wood to the crucifixion site themselves. Um, and then they were hung on the cross. And some of them, like that one on the left, had a little seat, uh, which was not there for their comfort or as an act of mercy, but to actually prolong their suffering um, and make it longer before they died. Um, so the Romans used crucifixion as an instrument of terror. And to Jesus' followers, the cross that he referenced, that Jesus referenced, would have represented subjugation, the injustice and oppression of Roman rule, and an absolutely agonizing form of shameful public execution. Edward says that it was a symbol of absoluteness and totality, and it signified a total claim on life. Um, and then in contrast to those sketches, we have this lovely image, um, which is my mom loved to collect precious moments. I don't think we had that cross, but we had a lot of them on the shelves. Um, so this is really familiar to me. <laughs> um, and if this is what we think about the cross today, then I don't think it should be surprising that we have a watered-down understanding of what it means to carry one's own cross. For us, it tends to take on a meaning of carrying the weight of maybe the mildly unpleasant things of life, or on the other hand, making it absolutely clear to everyone how much of a martyr we are in dealing with the various forms of persecution we're dealing with as Christians today. Uh, you know, red Starbucks cups at the holidays, 
being forced to bake wedding cakes for people we don't think should be allowed to get married, lack of public prayer in schools. Um, Or maybe we're not being persecuted, but we just want to make sure that people around us know that we're suffering for Jesus. That's what carrying one's own cross means. But um, back to the, the passage, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross. In his case, it meant willingly walking into Jerusalem, knowing that he would be very soon going to his death at the hands of the Romans. It meant that doing that without complaint, without hesitation, without trying to take matters into his own hands and find another way to accomplish the plans that his father had set into motion. So, what does the cross mean to me? What I read Jesus saying here is that every day, every moment, we need to learn to put aside our own agendas for what we want out of life, our own deepest desires and hopes and dreams, and hold those things up to the values and principles that Jesus taught us. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? We cannot participate in the eternal life of God's kingdom if we're clinging too tightly to the goals that we've created for ourselves. And this doesn't mean that our wants and our desires are bad. It means that when we pursue them, we do it within the context of what Jesus taught us to do. It means that we understand our goals aren't always going to be the same as God's. And here's the hard part. Learning to be truly okay with that It means that we need to be ready to walk into some really dark places in the service of God. And when we do, we do it without making a public spectacle about how much we're suffering. Um, It means that we, where where am I? (laughs) It means we don't need to be happy about hardships. Uh, It doesn't mean that we need to be happy about hardships, that's different. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't tell other people when we're struggling, we absolutely should. But it does mean that we learn to not immediately run away from those hardships towards safer, more comfortable places. So I'll be the first to admit that I don't do this well. I like to be comfortable. I'm really good at complaining when I'm unhappy. Uh, And as I mentioned before, I really hate not knowing the plan. I have a lot of things I want out of this life, and I have a really hard time accepting that my plans for myself might actually not be the best plans for me. Or that my time here on earth might actually involve serving others and bringing joy and comfort and peace and wisdom, but never getting the things that I so desperately want. Or that right now in this moment, my life is complete, that nothing's missing. I really hate that one. But Jesus says that in order to follow him, I need to be willing to carry the instrument of my own execution every day over and over again. That's heavy, and I'm still processing what that looks like. And I'm trusting that as I do, he'll give me the grace to let go of the things I'm clinging so tightly to that aren't him. Um, The last quote, James Edwards points it this way. The way of the cross is a way of irony. For the one thing that is more important than anything else cannot be saved by preserving it, but only by forsaking it in favor of following Jesus on the way of the cross. To the one for whom the way of Jesus is more important than his own existence, his eternal existence will be secured. To the one whose existence is more important than Jesus, both Jesus and his existence will be lost. 
God, thank you for this ironic mystery that none of us really fully understand. Um, yeah, it's hard, and we like to water it down. We like to avoid our the darker parts of what it means to follow you. We like to stay safe. We like to stay comfortable. We like to make our crosses pretty with flowers and cursive letters and butterflies. And we forget that for you, there was nothing dainty and flowery about the cross. It was beautiful, but it was beautiful because it meant death. It meant giving everything that you had for us. Um, and I pray that we would all learn to really understand what that means as we walk with you and that we would learn to not be afraid when things are mysterious. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first Last Supper occurred in an upper room during a feast called Passover, which is a call to remember how God liberated his people from Egyptian slavery. As you remember, God unleashed a series of plagues on the Egyptians that basically took aim at all of the Egyptian gods. The last plague was to strike down the firstborn of every family. But to protect the Israelites, they were instructed to place the blood of a slaughtered lamb on their doorpost. They were also told to bake bread, but quickly, without the normal rising process, because they would soon be leaving and they needed to be ready to go. In the morning, when the Egyptians, including Pharaoh, awoke to find their firstborn dead, Pharaoh decided to let the Israelites leave. And the Israelites were instructed by Moses to remember the Passover, and what God had done for them by celebrating the feast every year. Another term for Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, Jesus and the disciples approached the time for one particular Passover feast, and no doubt the cross was heavily on Jesus' mind. Let me read a book, a bit from the book of Luke. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to his house. Then you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large unfurnished upper room and prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. 
When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it again and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after, he had eat, after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant of my blood. As we celebrate the sacrament of communion this morning, I want you to focus on five words from that passage. Take, share, thanksgiving, broken, remember. We take the bread and the cup. We all share in the bread and the cup. No one is excluded from this table. We give thanks to God for what this sacrament represents. We understand that it came at a tremendous cost. The cost of the broken body of Christ. And we hold these things in our minds and hearts, remembering what would happen just a few days later when Jesus, our Messiah, would be nailed to the cross. And as you come up to receive the bread and the cup, it is our hope that this series, What the Cross Means to Me, will be an invitation for you to consider. What does the cross mean to you? So I invite you this morning to come up to the tables um, through the middle aisles, I guess middle, um, and receive the gluten-free crackers and the juice. As is our custom, the ushers will say a few words of institution over you as a blessing, and you may return to your seat and take communion when you are ready. The worship team will lead us in our closing songs. Once the worship team concludes, the service will end, and you can put your cups in the bins in the coffee bar as you leave. But as you go, remember these five words. Take, share, thanksgiving, broken, remember. Can I have the ushers come up and serve? Mm-hmm.